0: we go as jesus was leaving the temple one of his disciples said to him look look teacher what massive stones what magnificent buildings do you see all these great buildings replied jesus not one stone here will be left on another every one will be thrown down as jesus was sitting on the mount of olives opposite the temple peter james john and andrew asked him privately tell us when will these things happen And what will be the sign that they are all about to be fulfilled? Jesus said to them, Watch out that no one deceives you. Many will come in my name, claiming I am he, and he will deceive many. When you hear of wars and rumours of wars, do not be alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places, and famines. These are the beginning of birth pains. You must be on your guard. You will be handed over to the local councils and flogged in the synagogues. On account of me, you will stand before governors and kings as witnesses to them. And the gospel must first be preached to all nations. Whenever you are arrested and brought to trial, do not worry beforehand about what to say. Just say whatever is given to you at the time. For it is not you speaking, but the Holy Spirit. Brother will betray brother to death and a father his child. Children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. Everyone will hate you because of me, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. When you see the abomination that causes desolation, standing where it does not belong, let the reader understand, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let no one on the housetop go down or enter the house to take anything out. Let no one in the field go back to get their cloak. How dreadful it would be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. Pray that this will not take place in winter, because those will be days of distress unequalled from the beginning, when God created the world until now, and never be equaled again. If the Lord has not cut short those days, no one would survive, but for the sake of the elect whom he has chosen, he has shortened them. At that time, if anyone says to you, Look, here is the Messiah, or Look, There he is. Do not believe it. For false messiahs and false prophets will appear and perform signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. So be on your guard. I have told you everything ahead of time. But in those days, following that distress, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from the sky and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. At that time people will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory and he will send his angels and gather his elect from the four winds from the ends of the earth to the ends of the heavens. Now learn this lesson from the fig tree. As soon as it has twigs, as soon as its twigs get tender and its leaves come out you know that summer is near. Even so, when you see these things happening you know that it is near, right at the door. Truly I tell you, This generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. But about that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard, be alert. You do not know when that time will come. It's like a man going away. He leaves his house and puts his servants in charge, each with their assigned task. And tells the one at the door to keep watch. Therefore, keep watch because you do not know when the owner of the house will come back, whether in the evening or at midnight, or when the rooster crows or at dawn. If he comes suddenly, do not let him find you a sleeping. What I say to you, I say to everybody watch.
1: Thank you, Steve. Could I ask uh, Julian to come up? And Julian, I might just pray for you before we start. Father, we thank you that uh, you have given us your word and um, that you have given us gifted men to uh, expound that, to help us understand it. Thank you for Julian, for his willingness to share this morning. We pray your blessing on him. We pray um, that you will speak through him, that you will use him, that our hearts will be open to your message. And we pray it in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, Julian. Well, good morning. Uh, Thank you all for having me. It's it's actually quite strange to be here and have so many familiar faces as well. Like, you guys aren't usually here. But anyway, it's nice to be here and thanks for having us. Uh, And I think it's a really great thing that we can do this uh, at the end of this year and at the start of a new year. glad, and I hope it will for you. Now I want to start with just a bit of an aside, uh, because it is a difficult passage, and there's an important kind of trick or technique that we can use to help us understand this. Uh, In fact, not only this passage, but any passage which talks about the future in the Bible. So (laughs) I want to share it with you. It's called uh, foreshortening or telescoping. Maybe you've heard about that before. Uh, If you've ever looked... through binoculars or a telescope at a a distant mountain range, you might have seen this this kind of phenomena. You you look at those distant mountains uh, and you might notice that they kind of look a bit two-dimensional, don't they? It kind of looks like they're all layers stacked up, as if those mountains are all really close to one another. You know in reality they're not, but it's kind of an optical illusion. They, They seem really close to one another. We call that telescoping or foreshortening. And something similar happens in the Bible when the Bible also looks at things that are distant, things that are in the future, uh, things that might be occurring you know, hundreds, even thousands of years apart, all of a sudden look really close together. They get, kind of get stacked up. And so the Bible can talk about an event that will happen in 500 years and an event that will happen in 1,000 years, even in the same sentence. We call that foreshortening. And it happens in this passage. It's a, it's a classic example of it. See, Jesus is talking about two events in this passage. He's talking about the fall of Jerusalem and he's talking about his end of time return. But the way he talks about them brings them right next to one another. You know, He talks about them in, in, in even the same sentence and sometimes switching between those two events in the same word. And so we need just to be aware of that so we don't get the two confused. That's how it works. I'm going to hopefully explain that as we go through this passage together. Now, a little bit of context as we get to Mark 13. Jesus has been in Jerusalem now for a few weeks uh, and most of his work has centred in Jerusalem around the temple. And time and time again, he's been confronting the religious authorities, he's been confronting the ways of the day. There's been all sorts of challenge and criticism. And a running theme has been his criticism of the temple and all the things that are taking place there, the religious system. And all along, he's been hinting, all that they see around them, all this temple and the system that exists there, all of that one day is going to disappear. It's going to be gone, and that's not going to be a bad thing for the people. Now, few people have understood that by this point, least of all the disciples. And so when they're leaving the temple, the disciples are still marvelling at what they see around them. We see that right at the top of the chapter. Uh, Verse 1, as Jesus was leaving the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what massive stones, what magnificent buildings. Do you see all these great buildings, replied Jesus? Not one stone here will be left on another. Everyone will be thrown down. Now, quite rightly, the disciples are amazed at what the temple looks like. We've got to understand the temple, you know, it's not the size of our church or the size of this church even. The temple precinct is about 35 acres. You know, it is enormous. And the buildings there are magnificent. Uh, you know, it, was, it was famous for its beauty and its sheer opulence. Uh, in the temple itself were, were huge columns, so large that you know three men uh, couldn't reach around them together. Some of the foundation blocks of the temple were over 20 metres long and weighed over 500 tonnes. You know, this was a serious structure. It was stunning. And the disciples rightly were impressed. Look, Jesus, at this incredible place that we've built. What have we done? What a a place this will be for your kingdom when it comes. (laughs) And Jesus says, no. This building is nothing. In fact, its expiry date is coming so soon. That's a huge call. That's a big thing to say. The disciples can't let that slide. And so... Moments later, they asked Jesus what he means in verse 3. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter, James, John and Andrew asked him privately, tell us when will these things happen and what will be the sign that they are about to be fulfilled? Okay, Jesus, you've made this huge call, but when will will that take place? When's it going to be? How will we know that that's coming? Is there a sign that we can look for? This is what Jesus says, verse 5. Jesus said to them, watch out that no one deceives you. Many will come in my name claiming I am he and will deceive many. When you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places and famines. These are the beginning of birth pains. Now, I think we we kind of make a mistake when we read this section. You know, they ask for a sign. Jesus says, well, wars and chaos and all sorts of awful things are coming. And we think, well, that's the sign. You know, when we see wars, when we hear of rumours of wars, when we see terrible things, we think, wow, that's the sign. You know, maybe the end is near. Maybe we should be looking for it right now. But look again at what Jesus says. Jesus says, all these things will happen... And the end is still to come. The end is not yet. He says these are actually just the beginning of the birth pains. See, all of these things that Jesus is talking about, he actually says explicitly that's not the sign. That's not the sign that this is coming. Instead, what he's saying is it's just going to be really chaotic until that day. An end is coming, but the time until that end is going to be difficult and dangerous. That's not the sign that it's here, that's just the description of the life to expect. It's going to be a painful time. But notice, it's not going to be a hopeless time. You know, the last way he describes it, he says, it's going to be like the beginning of the birth pains. You know, birth pains, 50% of us almost have experienced that. Awful and hard and painful and difficult. But at the end of that, a birth something good to look forward to, something wonderful. I mean, you know what it's like when you're waiting uh, waiting at home for someone important to arrive. You know, you, you've, you've got the house ready, you're ready. and Every time a motor approaches, you know, you're looking out the curtains. Is that them? No, it's not them. It's, you know, the, the slam of a car door. Is that them? You know, you jump out of your seat. No, it's not them. Are they here? Do I look presentable? I need to go to the toilet, but if I go to the toilet, will they come while I'm on the toilet and do I... You know, it's, it, I mean, you, you know it. like, it's nerve-wracking, isn't it? You, you, you get yourself all worked up in ad- anticipation. You get yourself on edge. And Jesus says, that's not how I want you, waiting for the end. I don't want you to be nervous. I don't want you to be alarmed. I don't want yourself to be working yourself up fearfully. He says, simply be on guard. Simply be prepared for that day. This is what it's going to be like. Look at verse 9. You must be on your guard. You'll be handed over to the local councils and flogged in the synagogues. On account of me, you will stand before governors and kings as witnesses to them. And the gospel must first be preached to all nations. Whenever you're arrested and brought to trial, do not worry beforehand about what to say. Just say whatever is given to you at the time. For it's not you speaking, but the Holy Spirit. Brother will betray brother to death and a father his child. Children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. Everyone will hate you because of me, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. It's it's a pretty hard description, isn't it? And yet, even so, Jesus says, don't look to the end with fear, don't get anxious, don't worry about what is to come, but proclaim. Keep talking about me. It won't be easy, you know. Jesus describes opposition at every level, you know, from the levels of government to local council, even to very own families being torn apart by their allegiance to Jesus. Hatred from those who ought to love us—it's—it's it's a hard and awful picture. And still, Jesus says, "Don't be afraid. Be on guard and proclaim my good news. Keep talking about me. That's what your your task is until the end." Now he says. You're not alone in that, don't worry about that. You know, the Holy Spirit is with us. The Holy Spirit, he says, will be your companion through all of that. In fact, the Holy Spirit will be your voice in those times as well, will speak through us. But that's who we are in these end times, proclaiming the good news, not fearing what might be. That's what Jesus' people look like until Jesus comes again. Don't miss just how countercultural that view is. This is a bold stand that Jesus is asking us to make. You know, completely at odds with the world, isn't it? I don't know. It's kind of this time of year, isn't it? You know, end of the year, you start to get all those articles in the news and social media. What you know? What will 2021 hold? Will be better? Will be worse? What's going to happen? But that's what we're like, aren't we? People, institutions, we all look to the future. We we speculate about what might be. We worry and we get anxious. You know, is it crisis? Is it impending disaster? What about famine and disease and war and climate change? That's how our world works, isn't it? We worry and we speculate because we don't know the future. Or we, want to, we, we worry about not being able to control that future. But Jesus says we're not like that. Jesus says we're different. And we're different because we have a king. And we have a king who doesn't just know the future, we have a king who wrote that future. We have a king who is taking his people into that future and beyond. Jesus says, you guys are different. You guys are different because your king, our king, his death goes beyond that future. His resurrection gives guarantee through it all. Our future, our hope, are secured tomorrow, next week, next year, next decade, next millennium. And they are so secured. You know, as Romans 8 describes that nothing, no calamity, no disaster, no trial, nothing can take that away. And that defines how we live now. Because there is a danger here. There's a danger when we get to these kind of passages, there's a danger when we get to this kind of year that we, we start to speculate, <laughs> we start to obsess about what the future will bring. I mean, it, it kind of feels even harmless, doesn't it? We, you can't, you know, we can even justify it, you know, forewarned is forearmed, you know, I just want to be prepared about what's to come, I just want to kind of know what's to be. But you know what the common factor between everyone is that, that tries to predict the future? They're all wrong. <laughs> you know, there's no surer way to be wrong than to try and predict the future, in fact. But that's not even the biggest danger. The biggest danger, Jesus says, about speculating, about worrying, about being anxious, is that it might take us from the actual task that he's given us. That it might be a distraction from the work he has set us until he comes again. The gospel must first be proclaimed to all nations, he says. It's not saying that you know God's in heaven waiting for the very last nation to be reached so that then he can finally bring the end. He's saying that's the task that's to happen until that time. We live in a world of turmoil. We live in a world of wars and rumours of wars, of, of hatred as Jesus said we would and those are the sign that, the be, that we we're in the beginning of the end. And that knowledge drives us. It doesn't drive us to fear though. It drives us To share the gospel. We cannot change the future. We can't dictate what might be there. But in sharing the gospel, we may change the future. We may change even the eternity of those whom we know and love. We might see them too be freed from fear and be brought into this eternal hope that Jesus brings. You know, I think that's that's how we look at our year. That's how we look at even COVID and all the uncertainty ahead. You know, we don't fear it. We don't fear what might be as a result of it. But we understand what it is. We understand Jesus said it's a, it's a sign of the birth pains of the world. And so even that, even COVID galvanises us. It, it sends us out. Remember, these are the times. Let's go and proclaim. Jesus lives. In the end times, now, that is, That's what we're about. This is what our lives are about. This is what our planning for the future is about as individuals and as churches as well. About sharing the gospel till Jesus returns, about reaching the lost. That is who we are. That characterises us. How might that shape your planning for the year ahead? How might it shape the way you look at what's to come the next months and years? How might it shape your church's planning? You know, not speculating, you know, what happens if you know, we go back into lockdown? What happens if we can't meet again? What happens? But instead saying, whatever happens, we are committed to sharing Jesus. Whatever it might be, that is our goal through it all. What does that look like for you? How does that reshape and challenge your plans and hopes? Because that's where Jesus says our minds should go when hard times come, as he said they will, proclaim the gospel. It must first be preached to all nations. It will be hard. There will be a cost that comes along with that. But as he promises, the one who endures to the end will be saved. Now, if the first half of the passage then is kind of Jesus' general mapping out of what this uh, future is going to be like, then the second half is kind of his rough timetable for us to know what to expect. Uh, why rough? Well, because it's simply not Jesus' uh, intention to give us a detailed plan. That's not his point. That's not what he wants to do to us, for us. He wants to give us a rough picture, and so he does. Uh, first, he describes what's coming in Jerusalem. You see it in verse 14. When you see the abomination that causes desolation, standing where it does not belong, let the reader understand, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let no one in the housetop go down or enter the house to take anything out. Let no one in the field go back to get their cloak. How dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. Pray that this will not take place in winter, because those will be days of distress unequaled from the beginning when God created the world until now. And never to be equaled again. If the Lord had not cut short those days, no one would survive. But for the sake of the elect whom he has chosen, he has shortened them. At that time, if anyone says to you, look, here is the Messiah, or look, there he is, do not believe it. For false messiahs and false prophets will appear and perform signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. So be on your guard. I have told you everything ahead of time. This is Jesus' rough mapping out of what's going to take place in Jerusalem, of how this temple and the city is going to fall. Uh, First he said that you're going to see this abomination of desolation. It's kind of a mysterious and really strange-sounding description. But what he's saying is something horrible will take place in this place. And so it happened. Uh, When Jerusalem was defeated, when the city fell, we see the Roman general Titus came in to the temple Uh, and set up in its courts altars to pagan gods and sacrificed to them. We see, as Jesus described, Judea and Jerusalem were were overthrown and it was brutal and bloody and terrible. It was was awful, just as he described. And yet, not as awful as it might have been. He says there, uh, thank God for his mercy that it was cut short that time, that it wasn't as drawn out as it might have been. See, everything Jesus predicted here took place. About 40 years after he said this, about 5 to 10 years after Mark wrote his gospel, Jerusalem fell and all of this came to pass. So what do we take from this description of, of events that happened you know, almost 2,000 years ago? Well, Jesus intends it to be for us kind of, kind of like a mock-up of what is to come, kind of like a picture of what is to come. Because do you see what he does? He moves from this description of what will happen in Jerusalem to what will happen at his return almost without warning. He straight away in verse 24, he goes uh, even further to the future. Look, Look what he says. But in those days, following that distress, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from the sky and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. At that time, people will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. And he will send his angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of the heavens. See, so Jesus said, this is going to happen in Jerusalem. This is going to happen when I return. And what he seems to be saying to us is, what happened here is kind of a picture of what it's going to be like there at the end. The first he's saying is a model of the last, uh, you, you know, I mean, you know what it's like. You know when when an architect is designing uh, a building, you know, kind of like a public building. You know, say uh, say the Pineapple Center or the whatever it is you guys are doing down on the waterfront. I'm sorry, I can never remember the name. But but you know what it's like. That, you know, they don't just give you pictures of what it's going to look like. You know, the artist's imp- impression. Um, often, what they'll do is they'll make a model so you can go and look at it. You know, a, a, a replica of it. You know, you know Zoolander? What is this? You know, School for Ants? That's an old movie, I'm sorry. But, but that's the point. You, know, you look at the model, you look at that little picture, and, and, and you get an idea of what the bigger is going to be like, what the real thing is going to be like. And that's kind of what Jesus is doing here. He's saying, look at what's going to happen in Jerusalem. That is kind of a picture of what's going to happen when I return. And so in that, he's giving us something to understand what's to come. He's saying, in those last days, before I come, it's going to be hard. The church will be ridiculed. It will be mocked. It will be hated. Uh, It will be degraded. It will be humiliated. Those times will be awful, not just for the church, but those times will be awful for everyone. There will be terrible things happening. Before Jesus arrives, there will be time of increased tribulation. There will be persecutions and disasters False prophets, false teachers. And when we see this happen, then we know that we are in those end times. We know that that day is approaching. As he says, you know, you, like you, you look at a fruit tree or a fig tree, he uses the example. You know the leaves come out, the flowers come, the buds come. You know that fruit is coming. So when you see these things, you know that day is coming. Not specifically when. Even he doesn't know that. He's chosen in accepting his humanity not to know that day. But he says that doesn't matter because the Father knows. And in his good and sovereign will, he will bring that day when it is to come. So what do we do till then? He says we serve. Look at verse 33. Be on guard. Be alert. The master is coming back. He is going to return. We as his people, as his servants, are told to serve until that day. Not to be found asleep when he returns. Uh, In my my boat, I've got an EPIRB. Uh, The law says I I have to. My wife says it's a good idea and it's a safe thing. Uh, And so when I plan my fishing trips, I plan what I need to take and you know, I say, well, I need my fishing rods, I need my esky. But, you know, I, I don't say, well, I'm planning to sink this trip, so I guess I'll take my EPERB. You know, I think this would be the right day, to, you know, for the boat to go down and for us to stay stranded out there, so I'll take my EPERB on this trip. That would be stupid. I mean, if you've got a boat and you're planning to sink, you probably need to look at your life. <laughs> That's not how it works, is it? No, you pack your EPERB just in case that happens. You don't want it to happen. Uh, you don't know if it will happen, but you take it just in case. And Jesus is kind of saying something here. He says, you don't know when God's going to come back. You don't know when that day or that hour will be, but just in case, you expect it and you anticipate it and you act in anticipation of that day. And that looks like, not packing your eperb. that looks like serving him until that day. Serving him as his people as those who love him, as those who want to please him, as those who want to build his kingdom. What we don't do is say, I think he's going to come back on this day, so for now I'll just do what I want, and just before he comes back, I'll start serving him. Like, God's going to see through that. It's kind of stupid, isn't it? That's not how it works. We serve now and we serve for him. Why do we need to be told this? Why do we need to be reminded of this? Because it's not our instinct, is it? What are we like? Well, This is what we're like. When hard times come, when trials come, when uncertainty comes, what do we do? <laughs> we, we turn inwards, don't we? That's, that's how we work. We saw it this year. You know, COVID hits, and all of a sudden, if you look at the supermarkets, it looks like people are eating 10 times as much food and constantly going to the toilet. And Now, I know that COVID doesn't do that. <laughs> What does that is people, because people are selfish. Because when hard times, uncertain times come, people are more selfish. Jesus says, don't be like that. Fight against that instinct. When the end times come when the difficulties come, don't turn in on yourself, don't grow in that selfishness. Instead, look outwards and serve. The opposite of that selfishness is service. Serving him and serving his kingdom. The year ahead has uncertainties. It has anxieties. It has all these temptations. I don't know what's going to happen, so I'll just get my house in order. Jesus says, no. Look outward. As individuals, as churches, fight that temptation and serve. He is the one who's come and served us. He's the one who served even to the point of giving up his life for us so that we can live. And he says, follow that pattern even more now, even today. You're going to have to be intentional about that this year. Uh, I'm going to have to be deliberate about that. It's not easy, uncertainty, all that fear, that anxiety. It makes us play safe, doesn't it? It causes us to pull back. But Jesus is saying to me, Jesus is saying to all of us, I am coming back. I will return. So serve. I've got you. This is part of the plan. So serve. Your future is secure. So serve. So are you an optimist yet? I mean, on one hand, this passage Kind of should scare you silly. <laughs> uh, the end times will be tough. You're going to be hated for Jesus' name. There are going to be all sorts of awful things that will take and take place regularly every year: earthquakes, wars, famines, tribulation, trial, false teachers, persecution, for His sake. I mean, that's the stuff of optimism, isn't it? Doesn't that make you feel great? Well, it should. Because all of that tells us something good. It tells us the end is coming. Not just an end, but Jesus' end. The king will return for his kingdom. The king who is in control is coming back. Yes, the immediate future may be a bit bleak. Yes, it may be uncertain. But eternity is good. And you know what? Even in the time to come, even in the immediate future, there is joy. Because Jesus has set us a good task. Serve him. Grow his kingdom. Announce his name. And see people come to that hope and to that joy and to that life. What greater joy could there be for us than that? So don't fear 2021. Uh, Don't even just say, You know, it couldn't be worse than this year because it could be, like it really could be. That's not our hope. Instead, keep watch, stay awake, and talk about Jesus. Proclaim the King, serve the King until he comes. The one who endures to the end will be saved. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we we want to praise you. Uh, We want to praise you for the hope that even this passage offers us. Father, we we confess that so often we do just want to know the future. We want to know what to expect. We want to know what's going to happen. Uh, And we think that knowledge will make us feel safe or prepared. But Father, you haven't given us that. In fact, you've given us something far better. You've told us that you're in control. You've told us that you have a plan that... Whatever happens, you are with us and you're coming back for us. Father, help us to be content with that knowledge. Help us to be confident in our trust of you. And instead of worrying about what might be, help us to look outward, to serve and to proclaim your good name and the better news of Jesus who lives and Jesus who's coming back. Father, the year ahead is an uncertain one. We just don't know what to expect or what it will hold. But we pray that whatever that might be, you will use us, that you use each of our churches, that you'll work through us as you have promised to do, that through our words your spirit would speak and bring hope and life to our communities and our world, that whatever this year brings, we would see your grace We would see your kingdom grow. We would see people, many people, coming to life in Jesus' name. Father, we pray for this. We pray that we would see it through us and around us this year. In Jesus, our King's name, we pray. Amen.